All right, let's get started. This is part two of my three-part little mini-series here at the Western Youth Conference. And we are talking about Satan in media. The first part was about spiritualism through all of the television programs and the movies that are communicating the ideas of of Satan's masterpiece of deception. And for part two, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, witchcraft and Harry Potter, Wicca, and Bible prophecy. So let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2. And let's have prayer. Start out with prayer. Dear God in heaven, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us as we go back into the Bible and as we look at another very scary subject, a controversial subject, but one that we need to understand so that we can be more motivated to be strong in our relationship with Jesus. Lord, please help us to focus on Christ and on your word and also to expose the works of darkness which are all around us. And the best way to do this is with the light. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 2. I think probably most of us know know this chapter, but I'd like to draw your attention to a number of things. Daniel chapter 2 starts out, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep broke from him. Now, you know this story, right? Where Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, and it was so shocking, he woke up maybe in the middle of the night or in the morning, and he wanted to find out two things. What the dream was, because he forgot it, and then the second thing was what it meant. And so in verse 2, he decides to gather around him all of his uh, administrators and professional wise men and counselors to give, to give him advice on the dream and the meaning. It says in verse 2, Then the king commanded to call. And who did he call in? Into his inner circle. My Bible says in the King James that he called the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to show the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. Now, this is very significant to me because we're, we're reading about ancient Babylon. And it shows us that at the very heart of the wise men of ancient Babylon was occultism. Magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers. So when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream and he woke up and forgot it and wanted to find out what it was and what it meant, he called in his wise men and they were occultists. And and that just tells us that Babylon, ancient Babylon, was permeated with occultism. Isn't that true? And there's many verses that talk about this, not just this one. There's others. There's Isaiah 47 talks about the enchantments of ancient Babylon. There's lots of different verses. Same thing in Egypt. Uh, The Pharaoh, when the plagues were falling all around in Egypt, 
who did he gather around him to try to counteract these plagues? His, his magicians. So the magicians were high up in the, uh, in the leadership of Egypt. The magicians were high up in the leadership of ancient Babylon. And it's the same thing in the book of Revelation. When it comes to modern Babylon, Daniel 2 is the root system of the book of Revelation. If you look at chapter 21, verse 8, Revelation 21, verse 8, talks about the group of people that go into the lake of fire. Verse 8 says, The fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers. And then what's that next group? The sorcerers, right? And the sorcerers and, and all liars. They will have their part in the lake of fire, which burns, the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So sorcery is also big in Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 18, verse 23, talks about Babylon and her deceptions and how she deceives the world. 18.23 says, in, at the end of the verse, it says, for by her sorceries were all the nations deceived. And so my point is that occultism was big in ancient Babylon. It was big in ancient Egypt. It's got to be big in modern Babylon, which his root system goes back to ancient Babylon. Uh, sorcery is listed in Revelation as one of the categories of those that go into the lake of fire. And, and it, the Bible says that Bab Babylon uses sorcery, sorcery to deceive the world. So it's obvious that sorcery and witchcraft and occultism is, uh, plays a major role in the Bible and also in the book of Revelation. Now, in the last meeting, I asked, we talked about, about spiritualism, and I attempted to prove that one of the reasons why spiritualism is growing so rapidly is because of the influence of Hollywood. Ho Hollywood has capitalized on, on the interest of this subject, and they've brought it to the masses. Uh, the same thing has happened with with witchcraft and this form of occultism. Let me just show you. I've got quite a few pictures, and I'm just going to go through these fast. Uh, here's a couple of books on the screen. One of them is The Idiot's Guide to Wicca and Witchcraft. Wicca, in case you don't know it, is a religion that practices witchcraft. It's sort of a modern version of witchcraft that claims to promote white, what they call white magic instead of black magic. And they say that white magic is good. You can learn all kinds of spells that will help you do your homework better, that will help you get good grades in school, that can help you lose weight or gain weight, help you make money, help you find the love of your life. There's spells for everything. Spells for everything. And here's a couple of books here. The Idiot's Guide to Wicca and Witchcraft. And this, the next one is Wicca and Witchcraft for Dummies. Now, let me tell you something. Whenever a dummy book comes out, you, you know from that that this is a major trend in society. Well, the, the people that write these books, they study the trends. Uh, when computers really got big, you had computers for dummies. And, and that's because they're studying. You know, they're looking. What's going on in society? What are people into? And so then they come out with a dummy book. And the fact that you've got these dummy books dealing with Wicca and witchcraft shows that uh, we're, we're dealing with something that's, that's big on the cutting edge of society. Now, the reason for this, I believe, is because of Hollywood. Just like with spiritualism, it's the same thing with witchcraft.
And here's just a few uh, quick slides. I think the Audioverse are going to grab these slides somehow and, and put them on their website so people can see the slides in connection with my comments. But uh, there's, there's uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. This is a very popular television series about a girl there with supernatural powers who learns to use her witchcraft wisely. See that? To use her witchcraft wisely. That's called Wicca. That's white magic. That's where people try to get involved in witchcraft, but try to use it wisely in a good way. That's their philosophy. Now, you look at that picture of that young lady there. Uh, does she look like a, a witch to you? You know, when most people think of witches, at least when they used to think of witches, they think of, you know, dark, sinister-looking people with big black hats and big, big long noses. And, uh, you know, they're stirring the cauldron, and they're the witches. But today's witches are completely different than the ancient witches. And a lot of it's because Hollywood is portraying people that are involved in witchcraft as very cool, very savvy, very sexy, and uh, very attractive, and above all, they have supernatural powers. And it is appealing to people today to want to have supernatural power. And one reason is because this is a stressed out world. People are all mixed up, they're stressed out, they have problems, and they're looking for supernatural power to help them with their problems. But the, the problem is they're going to the wrong place for that power. They're turning to occultism. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, this is one of the most popular uh, television series of all time. And there's a quote there, it says, Buffy's friend Willow, she's one of the friends in the series, casts spells and practices witchcraft. There's a picture of Willow, the Willow Witch. It says, date of birth, 1982, place of birth, Sunnydale, California, occupation, witch, and student. Now, does that, does that young lady look like a witch to you? If you were to meet her in school and take classes with this girl, would you automatically look at her and think, oh, yeah, she must be a witch? Would you think that? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, the Charm series. Three sisters use their powers as good witches to battle the forces of evil. So this is what people are watching. When they're watching television programs, they're not just watching spiritualism programs, they're watching witchcraft programs as well. And they're seeing these really cool, attractive, sexy looking young ladies, and they're good guys. They're not bad guys, they're good guys, and they're fighting against evil, and they're using witchcraft to do it. Those are the kind of impressions that are being made on this generation through Hollywood. And when, uh, when this generation that doesn't really know it's right from its left sees these women that look so cool and they've got supernatural power and they fight evil, then what happens is many times they look and say, hey, you know, I'd like to do that too. I'd like to check out witch Wicca. I'd like to check out witchcraft. Here's another movie that came out, I think it was in 1986, uh, called The Craft, about a coven of witches who are still in high school. And then there's the movie The Witches of, of Eastwick. Cher was in that movie. M Michelle Pfeiffer, Jack Nicholson, about three women who practice witchcraft for entertainment. Here's Practical Magic with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Two sisters stay up late, study spell books, and practice magic. Same thing. And then, of course, there's Harry Potter. Uh, Time Magazine, June 23rd, 2003 few years ago said J.K. Rowling has mesmerized an entire generation 
of kids. And that is the truth. Uh, Mrs. Rowling, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the year 1990, uh, she was a single mother with a little girl, and she was pretty much broke on welfare. And she was on a train. She hadn't written anything. And she was on a train outside of London traveling along. And all of a sudden, she had this, this revelation, very distinct revelation, this image of a boy, of a homely boy who was a wizard but didn't know he was a wizard, just came walking right into her head. And that's the way she described it. She says, Harry Potter just walked right into my head. And she had this vision of this kid. And she started looking at him and thinking about him. He was a homely boy. He had big glasses. And uh, he was a wizard. But he didn't know he was a wizard. And he needed to discover that he was a wizard and that he had supernatural powers. And so it was the contemplation of that quote unquote revelation that led Joanne Kathleen Rowling to eventually start to write the Harry Potter books. And as she began working on the first book, she said later on, she said, my best writing comes at midnight. It's very spooky. I'm being carried along in my writing. And she put together the first manuscript and sent it to various publishers, and they rejected it, uh, one after another, until finally she sent it to Scholastic, and Scholastic jumped on it and said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it, and we'll, we'll make it into a first novel and then the second novel. And when the first novel came off the press, it shot to the top of the New York Times. And the second one shot to the top of the New York Times bestseller lists. And one by one, and then finally this, they decided to make uh, a Warner Brothers decided to pick up the series and make it into a series of movies. And the thing just took off. And it just soared to become the best-selling series of children's books of all time. That's what Harry Potter is. It's a tale of witches, wizards, and muggles. The muggles are all the non-magical people in the Potter series who are actually rather dull and dry and boring. <clears throat> And what Harry Potter does is it, is it paints Harry's world as the exciting world, the supernatural world, the powerful world. And it paints the non-magical world as really the party-pooping world, just the dry, boring world. You know, there's people that don't want to have anything to do with witchcraft. They're stale. Um, and they're called the muggles. And when kids read Harry Potter, the, the impression that's given is, hey, if you want to be cool, if you want to be involved in the exciting world, you need to get involved in witchcraft, like Harry and Ron and Hermione, who go to a witchcraft school to develop their magical powers. You don't want to be like the muggles. You don't want to be an old fuddy-duddy. And so kids are reading these, uh, these books, and, they, and these impressions are being made, just like with Charmed and Buffy and these, with Willow the Witch and these different shows, Sabrina. And little by little by little, what's happening is witchcraft is becoming very, very attractive, very appealing. Uh, this is the 12th book that came out, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. There are, I mean, I'm sorry, the seventh book. There's seven books in the series. This was released at 12.01 AM, July 21, 2008. And the first print run was 12 million copies. Now, there has never been a print run of any book in history 12 million copies, first print run. And I believe that almost all of these books sold 
in about 24 hours. I mean, they just sold, and then they reprinted. They sold so many Potter books. This just gone through the roof. J.K. Rowling is no longer on welfare, obviously. Uh, she's one of, the, one of the richest women in the world. This is uh, one of the, this is a screen capture of the first movie of number seven. What they decided to do, the first movie was, and the second, that all the novels have been so successful, and so, so have the movies. <clears throat> and they decided to take the seventh movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and to divide it into two movies. And I think the reason is so they could just keep more money rolling in. You know, why, why uh, stop the cash cow? So they took the seventh one, and the seventh movie, part one, is already behind us. So even though the novels are basically over, there's still one more Harry Potter movie that's still on the horizon where the evil wizard uh, Voldemort, who tries to kill Harry and his friends, he finally bites the dust. And that's the last one. In the Harry Potter series, Harry is this young boy. He's a teenager. And he goes to this school, Hogwarts, School of Witchcraft and, and Wizardry. He, he didn't go to Weimar. He went to Hogwarts. He didn't learn the Bible. He learned about witchcraft. And as he goes to the school, he has a, he has a mentor whose name is Albus Dumbledore. He's like the master wizard of the series. And he's, he's old, but he's, he's brilliant. He's powerful. And in the series, he's a good guy. He's, he's, he stands for the right. He often teaches a lot of good principles. But of course, he's an occultist. He's a master wizard. And again, impressions are being made. Here's a, a picture from inside of Hogwarts. This is from the movie. And, and look at the motto. The motto of Hogwarts is this, magic is might. See that? Magic is might. And these are the kind of impressions that are being made upon young people through Hollywood, through the media, and through these novels. And again, we're not just talking about something small. We're talking about the most widely read series of children's books of all time. That's what the Harry Potter series is. Now, of course, the big issue, the, the controversy among parents is, is this just innocent fantasy, or is this something that can actually lead my child into the occult? You know, that's the question. I'll just tell you a couple of quick stories. Uh, I mentioned in the last meeting that I've been on a lot of radio shows. Our ministry, White Horse Media, has gotten into a niche. And the niche is to, uh, to get on talk, show ho talk shows. I don't know how many of you listen to talk radio. Anybody here listen to talk radio when you're driving? Okay, I, I do sometimes, depending upon the show. But a lot of people do. It's a huge force in this world. And there's all kinds of talk show hosts that are out there that are looking for guests on a variety of subjects, especially big topics that are in the news. And when a Harry Potter book or movie comes out, used to come out, uh, they're interested in interviewing people about Harry Potter, especially those that uh, are not pro-Potter. They want to know why. And so when a Potter book or movie comes out, we'll send out a press release and I've been on I don't know how many shows. One time when one of the books came out, I think I, was, I had like 40 interviews in about a two-week time. I mean, it was, in, it was incredible. And anyway, uh, one, one particular time, I was uh, invited to be on a show in Seattle. And it was called Live from Seattle. And the man's name was Thor Tolo. He was the talk show host. And he uh, responded to our, our release. 
and I think it was his producer that, that called me and said, Thor would like to have you on the show for 45 minutes discussing Harry Potter. We'll be live and we'll take phone calls. So I thought, okay, great. So he had me on and because of the phone calls, he kept me on for about an hour and a half. Because people were just, the phone lines were jammed. People wanted to ask questions and, and talk about this. And I still remember Melissa's phone call. Melissa called into the show. And we're on the air. And so she calls in and says, hi, my name is Melissa. I'm a mother. Here's my story. I'm just going to tell you my story. She didn't have any questions. She just had a comment. She said, here's my story. She said, and this was a Christian, a Christian show, Christian station. So this lady said, um, she said, our family's a Christian family. And my daughter, she's 14. And unknown to me, my daughter started reading the Harry Potter books. She went out and read the first book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And then she went to the second book. She started reading these books. And then she said, unknown to me, my daughter then went back to the bookstore that she bought the Harry Potter books, and she, st she started buying books on Wicca, on witchcraft, on white magic. And this lady's telling her story. And then she said, it, and, she, and she didn't know about this. She said, I didn't know any of this. But then she said, my daughter came to me one day, and she said, Mom, I'm scared. I'm scared. She said, Something's, there's strange things going on in my life, and I'm scared. So then Melissa said, um, well, honey, why are you scared? Tell me what's going on. And that's when her daughter confided that she had bought the first Harry Potter book, and now she was buying books on Wicca. And she was having some bizarre, supernatural, scary experiences. And, and when her mom found out, she then had a uh, mother-daughter conversation with her and told her, honey, you need to get rid of these books. You, you need to get rid of the Potter books, get rid of the Wicca books, don't get involved in this. And so she did. And they had a prayer, you know, and she rededicated her life to the Lord. And Melissa told us this story on the air. So I think to myself, you know, if, if parents think this is all just fantasy, this Harry Potter, you know, why are you concerned about this? At least kids are reading books. You know, isn't that good? They're reading. That's what they say. Uh, my response is, well, not everybody, that, not every boy or girl who reads a Harry Potter book is going to rush out and join a coven. They're not going to automatically want to be involved in witchcraft, but many of them are susceptible to these influences, even in Christian homes. And the fact that Melissa's 14-year-old daughter did exactly that, you know, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there's a lot of other stories I can tell you. I had another friend of mine, and his daughter worked at a Barnes & Noble in Nashville. And my friend told me that his daughter told him that when, this, uh, when his daughter is there at the cash register, whenever a new Harry Potter book comes out and the kids are just lined up, you know, wall to wall, out the door, down the street, waiting for the Potter book to come out at 12.01 midnight, and she's there at the cash register uh, you know, taking their money for their books, she said many times these young people will have a Harry Potter book in one hand and they'll have a Wicca book in the other hand. They'll have both books. They're buying both books. Because Wicca has made itself very, very appealing and very popular. Um, there's another friend of mine that used to be one of my church members in Templeton, California. Uh, not too far from here. It's a, it's a drive, but it's still in California. And when I was pastoring there, this girl, she was, uh, I believe she was 16 years old, she told me that she, told me that she was on an internet chat site 
and she was chatting, and she's a strong Christian, and she was trying to witness. And she had got into a conversation with this boy, and this boy, his email was something like, uh, um, how can I be so cold? Something like that, his email address. And as she's dialoguing with him, he tells her that he's into Wicca. He's a Wiccan boy. And then uh, she asked him, what was it that sparked your interest in Wicca? Why are you, why did, how did you get into Wicca? Why are you into Wicca? And his response was, it was because of reading Harry Potter. That's what got him into Wicca. So I could tell you other stories. And there's no doubt in my mind that these books and these movies uh, are making impressions. Like it says there, magic is might. And this generation is searching. They're searching for power. They're searching for guidance. They're searching for the supernatural. And as they've gotten you know, into the Potter books and into the movies and into other movies like them, they look at these things and they say, man, that sure looks good. I sure would like to be like Harry Potter. I don't want to be like the, the muggles. I want to have supernatural power. And it is luring them into the craft. Uh, witchcraft online, there's a picture of a computer. There are tons of websites out there. And I'm not going to show you these websites. I don't think we need to be looking at them. But anyway, um, this is interesting. This was, this was a press release that came out from a witchcraft school, a major online witchcraft school. They use PR web. We often use, we, we generally use christiannewswire.com. Sometimes we use PR web, sending out our press releases. And this came out from a witchcraft school, one of the major online schools to teach kids how to get involved in Wicca. And this is what, this is what they said in their press release. It was called Witchcraft and Wicca, the Heart of the Harry Potter Controversy. It says, in 1997, a young mother wrote a book called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which was eventually changed by Scholastic to the Sorcerer's Stone for an American audience. And it says, and it was published. Little did she know, nor could she imagine, how much the world needed Harry Potter and his wonderful story. J.K. Rowling created a phenomena phenomena that brought magic to the forefront of human thought and unwittingly reopened a new round of an ancient battle. Now, this man who wrote this press release is the, or at least was, the president of, of one of the largest witchcraft schools on the internet. And he comes right out and he says that Harry Potter has brought magic to the forefront of human thought. And it has is, it is opened up a door of a battle, an ancient battle between Christianity and witchcraft. And of course, he's in favor of witchcraft, not Christianity. But to me, that's pretty significant. Now look at this. This is also very significant. <clears throat> this is a cover of a book called Teen Witch, Wicca for New Generation. Silver Ravenwolf is the author. That was not her original name. That's her witchcraft name. She was raised a Baptist. Silver Ravenwolf. And she eventually left Christianity and got involved in witchcraft. And she's one of the most popular Wiccan authors in the world. Uh, she's written numerous books, really big. And in this particular book, in the introduction, she says, I have received thousands of letters from young people aged 11 to 18 asking me what witchcraft entails. Now, let me tell you why that is so significant. The age range there, 11 to 18. 
in the, the, the Harry Potter books, there are seven books, seven novels, walking you through the teenage years of this young boy who goes to school to develop his witchcraft powers. And then he has a battle with the evil wizard who's trying to kill him. Yeah, Harry Potter's on the good side, the good guys, against Voldemort and his, what they call his, the Death Eaters. And anyway, uh, take a wild guess in Harry Potter book number one, how old Harry Potter is when he's first introduced into the story. 11. He's 11 years old, that's right. And then in the next book, he's 12. In the next book, he's 13, 14. It goes ages 11 to 17. That's the age range of Harry Potter, every book, seven books. And I think it's very significant that Silver Ravenwolf, one of the most popular witch, Wicca authors, Wiccan authors uh, out there right now, you know, she says, that's the age group of people that are contacting me wanting to learn about witchcraft. And it's especially girls, especially young girls who are really interested. And it's, that's it. And that, to me, shows the influence of the Potter books. We have our own website, avoidharrypotter.com. Makes it pretty clear what side we're on. Uh, as, as a ministry, Whitehorse Media, we do not encourage people to read the Potter books in any way. We say stay away from these books. And when one of the books or movies comes out, we send out press releases and we try to get on these different shows. And there's one last Potter book coming out and when it comes out, uh, I tell you, we're going to be sending out our press releases and trying to get on radio shows. Uh, my book is called Exposing Harry Potter and Witchcraft, The Menace Beneath the Magic, published by Destiny Image. And it's in bookstores across the country. And a lot of people have read it. And when I pitch these shows, I tell them in our press release that I'm an author of this book. And I invite them to have me on as a guest. And I, like I said, I've been on dozens of do and dozens of shows discussing this. Some of them are Christian, some of them are secular, some of them are news and talk. And it's, uh, to me, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity to point people to our website on the air. The, the host will say, how do we get your book? And I'll say, go to avoidharrypotter.com. Pretty easy. And so when someone's riding down the street, you know, and they turn on the radio, they hear avoidharrypotter.com, and they, they'll remember that name. So they go on the internet, and instead of going to uh, Ed Hubbard's Witchcraft School, maybe they'll go to avoidharrypotter.com, and they'll order the book, and they'll learn the truth. That's our goal. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. By the way, I remember when I was at Soquel, California, not, not uh, too many years ago, and there was a call porter there who was giving his testimony. And he said that when he goes door to door, he said he often meets people that are into Wicca. And he, he'll tell them, oh, I love talking to Wiccans. He said, because you're open-minded. You're open-minded. He says, here's a great book for you to read. That's the way he, he approaches it. Uh, I used to think, you know, generally speaking, I used to think, like I think a lot of people still think, you know, witchcraft, Wiccans, man, we should just uh, don't even talk to somebody that's into this. But these are people that need to be reached with the gospel just like everybody else. And I remember when I was living in Paso Robles and pastoring in Templeton, I had a church member who, who I baptized, and she said that she was into Wicca prior to her becoming a Christian. And I told her, I said, we're going to do a, a television a series on this, and I'd like to interview you and talk to you about your experience. And she said, no. She said, I, I think I've got somebody better for you. Her name that was Shay. Remember Shay? Well, Shay said to me, um, 
She said, I've got somebody else in mind that's better for you to interview because I'm out of Wicca. And she said that I have a friend of mine, her name is Diane. And Diane is a practicing Wiccan today. And, and then she said, she's a kick, you'll love her. And here's her phone number, give her a call, she'll answer all your questions. Now, what would you do if someone handed you the phone number of a witch and said, call them up and ask them some questions? I, you know, I thought about that. I thought, should I call this lady? So I prayed a prayer and I thought, all right, I'm gonna do it. So I called her up and we spoke on the phone for probably a half an hour. And I told her, she said, why are you doing this? I said, I'm Shay's friend. And I said, well, we're doing a television documentary. We're Christians and, and I wanna learn more about uh, you know, why, why you got into Wicca. And the more we talked, and then she said, well, what are you? And I said, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus. She said, well, why do you believe in Jesus? So I started telling her all about my story and I told her about the book, The Desire of Ages. Uh, that Ellen White wrote and what a powerful book that was and how it affected my life. And then she said, you know, I think I'd like to read that book. I'd like to read that book. So, uh, so, so when we got to the end of the conversation, we had prayer. Or no, I said, I said I, I'd like to pray. Is that okay? She said, sure, sure. And, so, uh, and then at the very end of the conversation, she said, you know, I don't have very many people that I talk to about these kind of spiritual subjects. And she said, uh, I have a lot of questions. She said, w would it be okay if you became like my pastor? And, and if I, I could call you or email you or ask you questions, and I said, sure. Sure, Diane, call me up anytime you want. I've got questions and I'll send you a book, Desire of Ages. So do uh, you think I should have called that lady or not? I tell you, people out there that are into Wicca, you know, they, they think they're just practicing white magic, not black magic, and they're searching, and they need the Lord just like everybody else needs the Lord. Same with those spiritualists that I was telling you about, John Edward, Sylvia Brown, you know, I certainly don't think we need to be doing what they're doing, but these are souls that need Jesus Christ. And God's people need to be bold these days and to try to share the Lord with a lost world. And that's what White Horse Media is trying to do. Now, back to Daniel 2. I want to bring out some lessons here in the next 15 minutes or so before we close. Daniel 2, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You know this chapter, but there's some very powerful lessons. I've already read verse 1 and 2, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had his dream and he calls together the magicians, the astrologers, and the sorcerers. And they all come and stand before the king and basically, and you know the story, they said to him, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, tell us your dream and then we'll tell you what it means. And he says, I don't remember my dream. You're supposed to be my wise men. You're supposed to have inside information, connection with the gods, connection with with uh, supernatural powers. That's why you work for me. And so I want you to tell me my dream and tell me what it means. And they responded back and said, sorry, king, you got to tell us your dream first and then we'll tell you what it means. And after this dialogue went on for a little while, Nebuchadnezzar figured out that these guys were just charlatans. You know, they really didn't have the answers. If they really had inside information, they would be able to tell him what he dreamed and what it meant. And they couldn't. They couldn't tell him that. So he finally realized that you guys don't have the answers. You don't have the answers. And he, he got very upset and he, he issued a decree to kill all the wise men. And that decree included, guess who? Daniel, right, because Daniel was considered to be one of the wise men. So the executioner goes and knocks on Daniel's door. And Daniel says, yes. And he says, 
I hate to tell you this, but you're included in the decree of the execution of all the wise men. And Daniel says, well, what's going on? And so then he explains it, and Daniel relates very, uh, very respectfully to this Babylonian executioner, and he says, give me a little bit of time to pray about this, and I'll find it, I'll get an answer for you. So he gave him one day. So Daniel went to his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they had a prayer meeting. They prayed and prayed and prayed. Their lives were at stake, and then they went to bed that night. And I would, I would assume Daniel trusted the Lord. Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to go to bed. Hopefully, this is not my last night. And during the night, God gave him the answer, showed him the dream, and showed him what it means. And then Daniel went back to the execution and said, bring me to the king. And so there he is standing before the king, and then he tells him. Now, look, let me just show you a few of these things. This is amazing. Um, verse 19 says, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Only God can really reveal the future. The, the magicians, they struck out. They struck out. They don't have the answer, but God does. And Daniel praised the Lord. He didn't uh, honor himself. He praised God. Now in verse 24, look at this. Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went in and he said to him, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Now, I'm going to kind of divert a little bit from my subject, but this is still part of it. Uh, I, I see this as so powerful. The book of Daniel, I was sharing this with someone today for breakfast. The book of Daniel is a, is a blend of prophecies and stories. And the, the stories especially the character lessons that come out from Daniel are really important for us today. We not only need to under, understand the prophecies, but we need to understand the stories. And we need to understand the character of, uh, of Daniel and his three friends that is revealed in this story. Now, wouldn't it be easy for Daniel to say, wouldn't it be easy for Daniel to say, um, take me to the king. The Lord showed me the vision. I, I know the answer. And all those occultists, those magicians, those astrologers, those sorcerers, you know, you really should put them to death. But don't put me and my friends to death because we know the Lord. Wouldn't it have been easy for him to say that? But he didn't. The first thing he said was, don't destroy the wise men. And that showed that Daniel had a heart. He had a love even for the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers. Isn't that amazing? Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. And Daniel's full of these kind of stories. You know, we think about the three angels' messages and about uh, reaching people in Babylon and the call to come out of Babylon. But we need to read the book of Daniel and we need to see how Daniel related to people that were in Babylon. I mean, I believe we need to call people out of Babylon. That's for sure. But we need to love people that are in Babylon and we need to relate respectfully to them. And that's what Daniel did. He worked for the Babylonians. He worked for the king, for Nebuchadnezzar, and yet he had a good relationship with these people, and he was a good example, and he tried to reach their hearts. And when it came right down to it, he said, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Save their lives and bring me into the king. So he comes in, and he comes to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's shocked that a Jew is coming in with the answer to his dream. 
but he does. And in verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers show the king. They can't do it. If there's anybody here or anybody that will ever listen to this uh, message on audio verse that is, that is tempted by witchcraft and Wicca and thinking, you know, maybe I can get some real spiritual power from witchcraft, um, you know, my answer is, Witchcraft does not have the answers. Their knowledge is limited. They may have supernatural power, but it's not the kind of power that we want. And their knowledge of the future, they don't have it. And Daniel chapter 2, Daniel's very plain. He says the secret, they just don't know. They don't have the answers. Verse 28, he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals the secrets. And he makes known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Verse 30, he says, but as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have any more than any living. And that reveals Daniel's character. He says, I don't have this information because I'm smart. I don't have this information because I'm any better than anybody else. I'm not any better than the magicians or the astrologers or the sorcerers. I'm a human being just like they are. But God has given me this information. And that's the kind of attitude that we need. We need respect for people in Babylon. We need love for people in Babylon. We need to realize that we, that we are no better than they are as far as human beings, that we're equal to them, just like you know we're all human beings, and that the information that we have, we don't have because we're so smart. The information we have is because God has given it to us. God has given it to us. And so then Daniel begins to explain to the king his dream. And there's a picture of the, the metal man, the big metallic man with the head of gold, breast and arms of silver, the thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. And Daniel explains this, this uh, dream to the king. He says, that's what you dreamed, right? And Nebuchadnezzar said, yeah, that's it. You got it. Now, what is so significant about the form of that statue. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. What form is the statue in? It's an image of a what? It's an image of a man. That's right, it's an image of a man. And then Daniel then explains the dream by showing that the different parts of the man represent the rise and fall of human nations. And at the end of the rise and fall of human nations, then who comes down from the sky like a rock? Jesus Christ. That's right, the rock comes down. There's a rock and it says in verse 34 that a stone was cut out without hands, which means that it had nothing to do with humanity human hands, and it struck the image on the feet, the iron, the clay, and it broke them in pieces. Verse 35 at the end says, it smote the image and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And what's happening is you have an image of a man, and then a rock comes down, cut out without human hands, comes down, crushes the image, and fills the whole earth. What is God trying to tell us from this this dream and this prophecy, he's trying to tell us many things. One thing he's trying to tell us is obviously he knows the future. 
He knows the rise and fall of nations. Another thing he's trying to tell us is that the magicians and the astrologers and sorcerers, they struck out. They don't have the information that this generation really needs. Those that are searching into Wicca and witchcraft who have been impressed by Harry Potter and all of these novels and movies, they're going down a road that's a dead end. It's a road that's a dead end. Now another thing he's trying to teach us from this is that the image is an image of a man which I have been impressed with the message that God is trying to show us that we can have no confidence in the ways of man. And that the rock comes down from the sky with, without human hands. It's cut out, showing that God is the rock, Jesus is the rock, humanity doesn't have the answers, occultism doesn't have the answers, only Jesus has the answers, only the Bible has the answers. This is where we're going to get the truth. And we cannot afford to trust in man or to trust in occultism. We can only trust in God. Now, do you think that's a valuable lesson that this generation needs to know? It surely is. And when he gets down to the end of his dream, the explanation in verse 45, Daniel says, The great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain. And the interpretation is sure. We need something certain and something solid in our lives. And what is certain and what is, what is solid is Jesus Christ and Bible truth. Now, here's a picture of a book by Anthony Page called Rocking the Goddess, Campus Wicca for the Student Practitioner. At the back of that book, it has a list of all the campuses, all the colleges, all the universities, coast to coast, all over America, who have chapters pagan chapters, uh, witchcraft chapters that are being formed on campus. Witchcraft is really, really big. In the last meeting I talked about spiritualism. Now we're talking about witchcraft. Uh, and it's big out there. I, I, I was in at SoCal camp meeting. You know where SoCal is, right? I went to SoCal camp meeting and I gave a talk on this. And when I was done with this particular talk, I walked down and a 14-year-old boy walked up to me shook my hand and said, hi, my name is Greg. He said, I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. He said, for the last two years, I've been practicing witchcraft. He called it the elementals of witchcraft. And he said, then I read your book. I read, uh, he read Exposing Harry Potter and Witchcraft. And he said, I'm out. Amen. I'm out. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And he thanked me for, uh, for writing the book. Another lady was there at that meeting, and she said that she was, uh, she was one of the teachers in the, in the children's division. And she said she loves Harry Potter, loves the series. Hadn't seen anything wrong with it. But then after my talk, she said, I just came to hear what you had to say. She said, after, my, after hearing my talk, she said, the lights went on, and I saw the connections. I saw what the devil was doing. Anyway, uh, back to this book. Rocking the goddess. Witchcraft, the Wicca especially, believes in a, in a goddess, a female woman up there who uh, I, I know one Christian website, they're, they're former occultists, and they have an article on the site called What the Goddess, the article's called What the Goddess Can't Do for You. She can't do for you what God can do for you. And anyway, on page 31 of this book, there's the quote there on the screen. It says, Wicca attracts the power seeker. That's why people get involved with Wicca. As I mentioned, my friend Pam, I don't, know if maybe, I don't even know if I mentioned her name before, but her name is Pam, and she grew up an Adventist, and she got involved in witchcraft, heavily into Wicca. 
for many years. She's the one that uh, I got the email from that said, back off Wahlberg, she's mine. I told you about that in the last meeting. And then I wrote back with a Bible text from Romans that Satan will crush, or that God will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And anyway, um, Pam grew up in the church as well, but she got involved in witchcraft. Uh, there, are, there are kids in our academies that are getting involved in witchcraft. When I was at uh, a camp meeting in the Midwest, I remember looking at all these juniors. I had been invited to speak to the juniors. These are 12-year-olds, 11 and 12-year-olds, about Harry Potter and witchcraft. And there's a whole host of them that raised their hand that they were very familiar with Harry Potter. So we've got Adventist kids that are reading these books, that are watching these movies. Uh, we've got, there are pastors that see nothing wrong with these books and movies. There are division leaders in our camp meetings, some of them that are working with our young people that see nothing wrong with these, these books and movies. And they just don't understand. They don't understand the battle that we're in between God and occultism. And I have no doubt uh, that Harry Potter is contributing to this trend. And again, the appeal of magic, the lure of the occult, is the lure of power. See that? Wicca attracts the power seeker. Are we in the time of the latter rain? Yes. Are we in the time of God's power? Does God want to pour out his spirit upon his people? Do people need power today? Yes, they do. People need power, and they're searching for power because they're, they're powerless to deal with sin and all the problems in this world. So people even out there are searching for power. The problem is they're looking for it in the wrong places. And because if they don't know about Jesus and the power of God, they're going to go seek power in the wrong places. And that's why they're getting involved in witchcraft. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Where is God's power centered today? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Bible says, Paul wrote, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, what is it? It is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. God's power is centered and flows through Calvary. And I'm convinced that the greatest dimension of the power of God is the power of love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There is no greater power than the power of love that has been revealed on the cross for you and for me. Um, here's a picture of my little boy when he was not quite two. <laughs> Little Seth, and I tell you, since I've been a dad, now I have Abby. I've got a little, my little daughter looks just like that, <laughs> a little bit older. She looks just like a, a little Seth when Seth was two. They're, they're both just a little boy and a little girl. And since I've become a dad, um, God has taught me so much about his love. And I can't even imagine, you know, sacrificing my son are my daughter for you 
I can't even imagine doing it. But God sacrificed his son for you and for me. He did it. He did it for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He only had one son, and he sacrificed him for you and for me to save us from our sins. And there is nothing like that in witchcraft. There's nothing like it in Islam. There's nothing like it in Buddhism. There's nothing like it in uh, Confucianism and the tribal religions. Uh, There's nothing like it in any religion. What the world needs now is the message of Jesus Christ. There's never been a time like this time. There's never been a generation that's more confused, more mixed up, that's more uh, permeated with Hollywood, that's exploring spiritualism, exploring witchcraft, exploring the occult, being uh, misled by all of these things. And this is the time for the message of Jesus Christ and for his gospel and for his power. If people can only understand the love of, of God and what he did on the cross and the power that's available through Jesus to change their lives, they'll find something that they'll never find in magic. They'll never find in witchcraft. It just leaves a big hole. There's no love in the occult, but there's love in the gospel. There's love in the Bible. There's love in Jesus. And this is the love that we need. Uh, I'll close with a little story. Uh, A couple years ago, Seth was bigger. He's six now. And when he was four, we moved up to, uh, to North Idaho in Eastern Washington. And, and the first winter we got up there, we were pounded in snow. I mean, there was more snow, record snow in Spokane. And uh, one day I took Seth outside of the apartment that we were renting and I had, him on, we had a little sled and I was gonna pull him around the neighborhood and so he could just you know zip around in the snow. And I had this long rope. And as I'm pulling him around the neighborhood, He's just having a blast. He's sitting on this little sled, and he sees this big pile of snow on the side of the road because the snow plows, you know, they go and they plow up the snow on the side of the road. And so Seth sees this big pile of snow on the side of the road, and he looked at me, and he said, he said, Daddy, he said, if I were to fall in that snow and fall under, underneath the snow, he said, you would just leave me, right? What a question for a little kid to ask me. He said, you just leave me, right? And I looked at him and I said, no, of course not, Seth. I would, I would dig you out. I would dig you out. And then he said, he looked at me and he said, but daddy, what if you didn't have a shovel? What if you didn't have a shovel? And my, immediately, my immediate response was, uh, Seth, I would, I would dig you out with my bare hands. There's no doubt about it. If my hands were bloody or whatever my hands had to do, I would get you out of that snow. Jesus reached out his hand to you and to me and those hands were nailed to a cross. And he did it so he could dig us out of sin, of the ways of the world, of witchcraft, spiritualism, occultism, whatever's out there. Our own sins, our own pride, our own flesh, the world's music, whatever it is. He, he did that so he could get us out and change our lives and get a hold of our hearts. And I, te- I want to tell you, there's no love in this world anywhere that is more powerful than the love of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And this is the love that the world needs right now. 
and we need the uh, spirit of Daniel so that we, we don't hate these people. We're not out there trying to kill them, destroy all the wise men of Babylon and make me, you know, one of your, me and my friends, your, your wise men. That would be the Lord's providence to get rid of them all, cleanse the camp. Wouldn't that be God's providence? Cleanse the camp. Purify uh, Babylon so only God's people will be left. And Daniel said, no, don't kill them. Daniel's pr probably praying for them, working with them, trying to help them to get to know him, to get to know God and his love. That's the attitude that we need. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the power of your prophecies. Thank you for the lessons in Daniel, tremendous lessons. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us to learn these lessons, to focus on Jesus, our rock, to focus on the power of his love, to let his love change us and so that we can reach out to a lost world and offer them the power of your love, which is exactly what they need to prepare them for heaven. Please guide and bless us. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.